This evening we go to Luke chapter 16. It's one story of two men, poor Lazarus and the rich man. From verse 19 to 31. This is God's word. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried, out, cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to, here to you cannot, nor can those who are from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not Hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they per be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. The confessional reading comes from Lord's Day 16. We're talking about death, burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be focusing on. Question and answer 42. Lord says 16. Why did Christ have, have to suffer death? Because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. What further benefits, what from the benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By his power, our old nature is crucified, put to death, and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, 
but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. Question answer 44. Why does the creed add, he descended into hell? To assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. Beloved in the Lord. The last question answered that which we read. Question answer 44. Why does the creed add he descended into hell? I'm not going to get into all those uh, technical things, but I think it's good to touch on some of the points. The Roman Catholics believed uh, that he actually and physically went into hell after he was crucified. There was even a picture painted by a Roman Catholic uh, artist saying Christ breaking into the gates of hell, conquering the power of hell. Very dramatic picture that shows uh, their understanding of what Christ did after he was crucified. The Lutherans, they don't really believe that Jesus actually or physically went down to hell, but they believe that Jesus went to a something called a middle place, a place between life and eternal life, something like Limbo. Of course, we don't, be we don't believe either of those. But how do we understand this term, descending into hell? Well, in the Old Testament, there was this term, Hebrew word, Sheol. That word, Sheol, has more extensive and broader meaning than English word, hell. So, Sheol simply is a place where dead people would go. So in some Bible translations, depending on the context, uh, they translate uh, this word Sheol as uh, something like grave. I'll give you an example. Ecclesiastes 9.3 This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that one thing happens to all, whether rich, poor, famous, or not famous, Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. Now that to the dead uh, in the original Hebrew is a sheol. So my point is sometimes because that word sheol covers uh, more meanings than English word hell. Sometimes that is translated into different words like a grave or to the place where deads are. So another instance, when Jacob heard that his sons, uh, from his sons that Joseph uh, was killed by a wild beast, that he refused to be comfort, com comforted, and he said, I shall go down into Sheol, in English translation, to grave to my son. Jonah, when he was in the belly of fish, uh, he said, out of the belly of she all, I cried, and you heard my voice. So you can see again, 
The term Sheol has very extensive meaning. So it is used to express agony, sorrow, inexpressible, worst possible bitterness. And then now the problem was when this Hebrew word was translated into ancient Latin, it was translated into as inferno. Inferno is a, literally means hell. So when you say Christ descended into hell, now in English it sounds like he physically went down into hell, although that was not what it means scripturally. So the right understanding is right on in the catechism. So he experienced unspeakable anguish, terror of soul on the cross. Now one of the major um, famous concept that existed in the medieval period was, you probably heard the word purgatory. What is a purgatory? Well, it was promoted by the Roman Catholics. Purgatory came from the word purge, obviously, to purge your sin. So when you die, you don't go straight to heaven or hell. You go into this intermediate place, middle place called purgatory. So you, you have some remnants of your sin that has to be purged. So you have to clean that up before you go to the next stage. So, so the Roman Catholics came up with this idea, indulgences, the ticket, that you can buy a ticket uh, for your loved one. If you think your loved one is potentially, possibly, or maybe, probably stuck in the purgatory, then he or she has to get out, then you buy this ticket, and then he or she can purge their sin faster. So what do you think? What, ha what, what do you think happens when we die? What Catechism teaches um, as follows, since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Well, it confronts, it challenges the Roman Catholic idea of purgatory by saying, our death is not a payment for our sin. Somehow, somehow we can do something to pay off our debt, the Roman Catholics thought. Our death is not a payment for our sin, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. Again, it's not a payment for our sin. There's not, nothing we can do. And second, it's because Christ already paid for your sin, all of your sin, at once, once for all, on the cross. So Bible, the Bible assures us that after we die, there's no such place that we linger around in an intermediate place or some ancient uh, Asian uh, tradition believe that ghosts are lingering around in the world. No. Bible assures that us that after we die, we right away, immediately go to Christ our head. Passages like Luke chapter 23, 43, Jesus said to the, one of the thieves when he, on the, when he was on the cross, the thief on the right, thief on the left, he said, one of, he said to one of the thieves, Assuredly I say to you, assuredly today you will be with me 
in paradise. When one of the seven deacons, uh, Stephen, he, when he died, he saw heavens opened and son of man standing at the right hand of God, ready to welcome him. And he said, Lord, receive my spirit. So here, from here and there, in the places in the New Testament, it's pretty clear that we go to heaven immediately after we die. And this is confirmed by the Lord's Day 22. What will happen to me when I die? Not only with my soul taken immediately after this life to Christ, its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorified body. Again, Bible doesn't support anything about a limbo or intermediate state or purgatory. So here's the theme and points of the text. Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There are two men, but they went to different destinations. And there are lessons that we can learn. So in this story, this story is another good example that what happens to us when we die. Certainly Jesus taught something about heaven and hell here. Now some people call this story a parable. The parable of rich and Lazarus. And interestingly, the human author Luke does not refer this story as a parable. It could be a parable, but it also could be that this is a real story that Jesus knew. But anyway, Jesus begins by introducing two men, a rich man whose name we don't know. He has everything, and the other, Lazarus, he has a name, and we know by the way, he has nothing. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and linen and fared sumptuously every day. The first man, this man, rich, very rich. However, this itself is not a criticism. Uh, there are many people in the Bible who were rich and who were praised and who praised God, glorified God. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. You think of the, the chief tax collector, um, Zacchaeus, was extremely rich and he repented. The kingdom of God is in his house, like Jesus said. So it's not the richness or his wealth that Jesus was speaking against. But there was a something else that Jesus wanted to point out. Notice that Jesus describes this man as the one who was clothed in purple and fine linen. And he fared, he ate sumptuously every day. So you can see this man is, was in a habit of having fancy dress, purple, fine linen. You know, in the ancient world, 
anything that the purple, the purple that is talking about here is very hard to get. Only the kings and very famous um, men were able to afford this expensive, incredibly expensive, expensive purple linen. Sign of wealth, prestigious social status. And then he says, he enjoyed, he clothed in purple linen and ate sumptuously every day. You probably heard the expression, royal purple. So this was, again, this was not only about speaking against being wealthy, but you can see he loves to show off his wealth. You can see there was no humility in his heart. Now, the focus shifted to another man. There was another man, a certain beggar named Lazarus. What is, what is the first description of this man? Full of sores. He didn't have a cloth to wear. Full of sores. He was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. And the dogs came and licked his sores. People call this man Lazarus. It is ironic because the name Lazarus means God has helped. God has helped Lazarus. You look, look at him. But it doesn't seem like he is having any help from God. How can we say God has helped him? If Lazarus believed in the help of God, it was only by faith, not because not because he was physically aided or not because of his outward situation. His name is very critical, very important for us to notice. His name draws our attention to his faith to God. He was sick, full of sores, miserable body. He was laid at his gate looking for help. He was hungry. He, he desired for leftovers from another man's table. Pathetic picture, isn't it? And the dogs came to lick his sores. People probably treated him, treated him like a dog. In ancient Israel, in the Bible, times dogs is a synonym of filthiness and disgrace. So poor Lazarus laid at the gate, dog licking his sores. People looked at him, passed by, despised him. Only dogs eat the crumbs from the table. This poor man was totally dependent on the mercy of others. You can imagine every time this rich man with purple robe Went to show off his his wealth. He went in and out of his house. He probably saw Lazarus. He had chance to show his compassion every day. Every day he had a chance to feed this hungry man, dress the naked, and heal the sick. 
but he never invited this poor man for dinner. He never told his servants to give him some of the leftovers. Now, brothers and sisters, turn with me quickly to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Matthew 25, verse 31 to verse 40. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those who on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? Or when did we seek you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of these, one of the least of these, these, my brethren, you did it to me. Okay. So, Lazarus, sitting there. So again, it's not Jesus is not speaking about being wealthy per se. But the behavior of the rich man, then he didn't have any compassion on Lazarus. Because the rich man did not acknowledge God, but he loved money. However, Lazarus, he lived up to his name. Lazarus, God has helped. He held on to God and he had faith in God. Whereas the rich man, He failed to show the fruits of his faith. Brothers and sisters, perhaps it is helpful to see this story in the the context. So right before Jesus told this story, he was confronting the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Luke chapter 16, from verse 1 to verse 13, Jesus was telling a parable of the unjust steward. In verse 13, Jesus said, No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. In verse 14, it says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. 
So when Jesus told this story of the rich man and Lazarus, definitely had the Pharisees in his mind. They were, diff- they were indifferent, selfish, very different mindset than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, humble, compassionate, selfless. He made himself no reputation, taking the form of bondservant, coming in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and he was obedient to the point of death. So the sin of greed, money, loving heart is very common in this society, in our culture. Apostle James also said something like, if a brother or sister he is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the thing which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So, Faith must bear good fruits. An excellent way of testing our godliness and faith. Are we bearing good fruits when we see someone suffering, not only money-wise, but also in many ways, mentally, emotionally? What do we do? Let's go to the second point. Uh, two different places. Uh, two destinations. So verse 22 of our text. Both Lazarus and rich man, they died. So you can see the big uh, difference, the contrast between those two men. Lazarus, he died. He was carried by the heavenly host angels to Abraham. This rich man also died, but he was, and he was buried. He was buried. And there was no mention of the burial of Lazarus. Maybe he was buried, I don't know, hopefully. As you can see, the rich man, when he died, many people came to his funeral, had fancy funeral. But when Lazarus died, nobody probably, probably nobody cared. Somebody had to bury him. But I assume nobody, probably nobody came to his funeral except those who had to bury him. But yet there is a stunning twist at the end of the story. You see, when they died, looked like the rich man had all kinds of proper respect and uh, honor on this earth. But when they died, it flipped the heavenly angels took Lazarus to Abraham, but rich man went to hell. Lazarus, who received no attention on this earth, now received attention from the heavenly host. But this rich man, he goes to hell. This situation is eternally reversed. This reminds us of Psalm 37, which we just sang. Do not fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious of the works of iniquity. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret the evildoers because, because Him who prospers in His way, He will be cut off. 
but wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, I mentioned earlier in the first point, the name Lazarus means God has helped. If Lazarus believed in the help of God, it was only by faith, and not because his current earthly situation. And indeed, God indeed has helped. The rich man, however, trusted in his wealth instead of God. Now he suffers. Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. In other words, those things you consider good, such as being dressed in a purple robe, fine linen, living in a fame and wealth, eating the best food at daily, those things were first on your list, on the list of your priorities. To help this poor Lazarus to live a godly life, bearing good fruits of the Holy Spirit, love your neighbor, and being useful to the poor, and by doing so glorifying God, that was not on the top of your, your list. That was not your primary goal. Abraham said, Son, remember in your, in your lifetime, you received your good things, meaning you enjoyed wealth. Lazarus didn't. Yet Lazarus had faith in God, enjoyed spiritual wealth. It's very interesting that, look who's speaking here. It was Abraham. Interestingly, it was Abraham who spoke these things. Abraham, the father of all believers, and also Abraham was rich. So what is the difference between Abraham and this rich man? Well, the difference is Abraham, although he was rich, he didn't put his trust in his wealth, but he, he was holding on to the promise of God. He was looking forward to the inheritance in heaven, not inheritance on the earth. How do we know? The author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11.10, he was looking forward to the city which has a foundation, whose builder and maker is God. So he was looking forward to the inheritance that God was going to give to him one day. On the contrary, what this rich man do? There's no sign of faith but he was holding on to his wealth. What about Lazarus? What did Lazarus do? Lazarus actually didn't do anything. In the story, you notice that Lazarus he didn't speak a single word throughout the story. Maybe he was very shy. Maybe he was an introvert. Maybe he doesn't like to speak. But I tell you, this is very intentional. Notice another contrast between this rich man and Lazarus. 
When the rich man was in agony, he cried out loudly and spoke about his hardships. He used to everything. Uh, He used to uh, his earthly life that he could get anything that he wanted. He had to wear best garments that he got it. He always desired the best things for himself and he got them. In other words, selfishness, spoiled. And when those things are gone, now he's suffering, he's in agony, he cried out. Whereas, look at Lazarus. Silent throughout the story. Totally silent. Whenever God, whatever God gives, he accepts. He doesn't complain. He waits patiently and silently as Psalm 37 speaks, teaches us. Lazarus received evil things, but he was quiet. He lived up to his name. God has helped. Now he receives good things from God. Jesus never mentioned anything about the name of this rich man. But Jesus knew the poor man's name, Lazarus. So did Abraham. Church father Augustine made a comment on this passage saying, The rich man's name was thrown around, but God kept quiet about it. The other's name was lost in silence, but God spoke it, Lazarus. God who lives in heaven kept quiet about this rich man's name because he did not find it written in the book of life. But he spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instruction to the angels to receive him. So since Lazarus was written in heaven, Matthew 25 speaks about that. Those who are righteous come receive the inheritance of heaven which was prepared before the foundation of the world. According to God's plan, Lazarus was received by angel but the rich man didn't. Also notice that Jesus said Lazarus was with Abraham. If you think about it, that's kind of interesting. Why? Why not Moses? Why not Jacob? Why not Isaac? Why not Adam? Why Abraham? Well, the simple answer is, it is because Abraham is the father of all believers. And here's an important lesson for us. Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. The Pharisees and the Jews had this idea at the time. Remember, Jesus had the Pharisees in his mind when he told this story. That in order to to be true children of Abraham, you have to do some things. Such as circumcision. Such as keeping the Mosaic law perfectly. You have to keep all the special rituals and calendars. In other words, work righteousness. So they had this pride that they were, they were the only children of Abraham because they were, so to speak, Jews. 
So to this crowd, Jesus says, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom. Not because he did something, but because God has helped him. And the Apostle Paul teaches this critical doctrine in Galatians 3.6. Just as Abraham believed God and his belief, his faith, was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. This is the key passage, Galatians 3.6, to understand uh, this this story of poor man and Lazarus. Jesus wanted to remind the Jews and us that the only way to be a true Christian, true children of Abraham, to be received to Abraham, is only through faith in Jesus Christ. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, all the torments and suffering on this earth will be taken away and you will never taste eternal suffering. Instead, you will enjoy the inheritance of kingdom as a child of Abraham. That's the, that's the lesson here. That means it's not your work. It's not your accomplishment. It's not your social status that saved you. But only by faith in the promise of God that you trust Jesus Christ then you become a child of Abraham that's why the word Abraham the Abraham appears in that story now that being said also we shouldn't forget what Christ has done for us as we are received into the kingdom Christ had to suffer on behalf of us let's go to the final point two lessons the rich man, in agony, he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He's asking for mercy. It's a mercy that he never shown before when he had an opportunity to do so. His selfishness was revealed once again as he made this request. Father Abraham, I am in such Agony, I'm tormented. Send Lazarus. I see Lazarus there. Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. There are two lessons that we can learn from the conversation between Abraham and this rich man. First, as I said in the introduction, there's no such thing as middle ground. Heaven and hell, they really exist. They really do exist. It's pretty clear from this passage. And there's a great gulf fixed. No one can cross from one side to the other. Such a horrible place. The rich man was tormented in flame. Place of fire. Not, uh, these days not everyone wants to talk about hell. Not every pastor wants to talk, teach or preach about hell. Bible describes this flame as unquenchable fire, which means this fire will burn forever. It's hard to describe and hard to 
understand. Bible also describes hell as a place of darkness where the evil spirits are kept. As Jesus said, I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the son of the kingdom, uh, sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, so there's a fire, if there's a darkness, how does that work? We do not know, but one thing theologically speaking, hell is a place where the Lord isn't. The Lord is a light, the Lord is absent, that means there is a darkness. Second lesson that we can learn from the conversation between this rich man and Abraham is that if you lose a chance in this life, there's no chance in the afterlife. The rich man said, send Lazarus to my father's house. Now he's in hell and he's being tormented and he thinks, there's not much I can do about for myself. Perhaps I can do something for my, my father or my brothers. His perspective changed 100%. After he experienced this horrific torment of hell, but it was too late. Send Lazarus to my father's house, Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. The rich man replied, No, 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 father, look. But if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. It sounds very logical. If someone sees a great miracle... Someone rising from the tomb. Great event, you would, you would say. People will, would believe God. But look what Abraham says in verse 31. Key point. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. Okay, it is hard to believe for us. Often, sometimes, uh, when I first came to Bowmanville, I, I used to study in the basement, and then you know, you notice there's a cemetery out there, and I have this silly thinking that when the trumpet sounds while I'm studying here, and then dead would rise. And then people would see the dead people rising and realizing oh, what the Bible said was true. And would they repent? Then that would be a little late, I would think. But the point is, you, it would be more very convincing if you see something great happens. But Abraham disagrees. Well, brothers and sisters, Abraham's comment was actually proven in history. Abraham said, They will not be persuaded, though one rises from the dead, teaches them or tells them. There was a someone in history who rose from the dead. Jesus Christ. After he rose, he didn't, went, he didn't go to heaven right away. He stayed on the earth 
for 40 days after his resurrection. He taught many things pertaining the kingdom of God. His testimonies and teachings had been taught by his disciples and apostles and even by many ministers. But later we find out that Jews still persecuted Christ's church. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the testimony of the one who came back from the dead. But they denied. They even paid the Roman soldiers to lie. Well, if you don't listen to the Moses and the prophets and the apostles and God's servants, what Abraham is saying is that you will not be persuaded even by someone raised from the dead. Why? Because Moses and the prophets and uh, the, all those prophets in the Old Testament, they have been speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ all the time throughout the Old Testament. And the apostles afterwards, they also preached Christ. And still, the ministers kept on preaching Jesus Christ. But does not mean everyone who hears it will respond in a godly way. No. So here Abraham warns those who reject the word of Moses and prophets and God's servants. Don't expect extra miracles or extra revelations because the testimony of the apostles and the ministers, that's enough. Brothers and sisters, to you who genuinely believe the testimonies of God's servant and testimonies of the apostles, you are truly blessed. Those who listen and do as the Lord says, like Matthew 25, I was hungry, you gave me food, I was thirsty. You gave me drink, I was stranger, you took me in, I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You are blessed as you fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ together in the fellowship of saints. The king will say to you, Come, now inherit 